an Ironic Media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. When did you really start realizing, like, I just don't know if I want to live like this? Growing up, there were little things that kind of came up between the years of, you know, young, young and 30. There were things that would come up that didn't really, I don't know, resonate with my soul per se, or like I would hear things that have happened in the history of my church or my religion. And like, they didn't sit well, but I was amazing at compartmentalizing. So Mm. like I could put these little things that didn't resonate with me that the church taught me in boxes and just kind of put them up on a shelf and deal with them later. So at 30, something very specific happened to me. And it's such a silly thing when I look back on it, but it started all of this. And it was a cup of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. As silly as that is. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong, and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right, today on the podcast, I have Ashley Whittaker, and she is going to talk about this massive transformation that she did. I want to just pause for a moment and mention, one, we're not going to say what religion she left. Two, we're basically talking about this because right now on the planet, there's a lot of people going through their own transformation. And by listening to somebody else who's been through it, it helps us get through it energetically, physically, mentally, emotionally, all that. I was just recently talking with a client and I was talking to her about my transformation from realizing that I was gay and telling everybody. And there's a lot of things that happen when we we go through these types of transformations and there's a lot of things we have to weigh and it's not easy. Like we could lose friends, we could lose family, we could be shunned from our community and things like that. And so Ashley's going to share what that was like leaving a religion and what that entailed. First of all, what the religion was asking of her and then what she had to leave behind. And I can't, I just, I'm, I have so many questions. I already started asking <laughs> her a bunch of them. And then I was like, wait, well, let's start the recording. So Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you for being thank here. You. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. I'm yeah. super excited to be yeah. here. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. Okay. When did you realize that you were struggling with your faith? So like I kind of grew up in this, I mean, I was born and raised in this Orthodox religion. It was pretty strict, lots of rules. I kind of followed all the rules and did everything that I was supposed to until I was about 30 years old. So like, Whoa, holy yes. crap. I had no idea it was that long. <laughs> yes. It, it was like, Ashley the- and I are new friends. Like, <laughs> I, I had, And actually we were out one night and I was talking to her and I was like, I need to interview for the podcast. Stop talking to me now about it. <laughs> so, okay. So now I know it's 30 yes, years yes. old. Holy 30 moly. years old. Yes. And like, I'd done everything that was asked of me and there, there were a lot of rules. Before I talk about all of that, I just, I want to offer the religion that I came from a lot of grace and understanding because it wasn't an awful childhood. Like, yes, it was strict. Yes, there were rules. I'm not upset at my parents for pushing this religion or this upbringing on me. The community is amazing. The people are fantastic. But 
it is very strict and it is very, very inclusive. It really was almost required to only have friends in the faith. I could have friends outside of it, but it was discouraged. And I remember specifically when I was a teenager, I was strongly discouraged from dating anyone outside the faith. Mm. I was told regularly, you, you marry who you date. And marrying someone in the religion was a requirement. So <laughs> I kind of grew up in this like very controlled community. And everyone around me believed what I was asked to believe as well. Right. And I did all the things. I did all the things. I met and married my husband the traditional way. We had kids together. Wait, like, what's we, the traditional way? Because like I'm watching my unorthodox life on Netflix. Uh-huh. And of course, it is absolutely accurate in, in every way. They don't date very long. Like she knew her husband for eight hours. What does it look like in your religion, your your faith? So culturally, the time to start dating is 16. Okay. And when you start dating, you date in groups from 16 to 18. So you're is not- Is that to minimize touching and all that other yes, stuff? Okay. correct. To keep yourself sexually pure, definitely. Okay. So, so are you allowed <laughs> to kiss or touch or anything before- You can kiss and hold hands and that's oh. about it. You can hug, kiss okay. and hold hands. But like you're not supposed to do anything other than that. Wow. Anything that you wouldn't feel comfortable doing in front of your mom or dad, you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. Thanks Um, for clearing that up. Yeah. (laughs) How long did you guys date? So my husband and I dated for, this is a good question to ask. We dated for two weeks before we decided that we were going to be married. (laughs) Okay. I do remember hearing about this when we were hanging out one time. Okay. But we didn't make it official for three months. Wow. So so so, long. You guys sound like lesbians. (laughs) I know. I know. Look look at us. (laughs) So all right. That's not uncommon. That's no, I know, I know. I know. know. I joke about the lesbian because the whole U-Haul joke. Uh But you guys dated for two weeks. You got Uh engaged. Mostly what I've heard is the reason why it's so short is because people want to jump in bed like with each other. Like they're like, let's get this show on the road. One hundred percent. So like I did not have sex before I was married. Neither did my husband. We were both virgins when we got married, which that's normal. Like that's what's required of you. I mean, certainly people slip up. There are definitely people I knew in the religion that are still practicing today, had sex before marriage, but they go through the whole repentance process. And what does that look like? It's a one-on-one interview with one of the leaders of the church, usually an older male where you confess your sin. You're in a, in a room with just them and you confess your sin and then you kind of dependent on how severe the sin is there are things that you have to give up there's usually a time before you can receive those particular blessings back or particular mm. how do i say it events within like the culture <laughs> so <laughs> when you partaking. say take away things so you so they're taking away physical opportunities to do stuff Correct. Yes. Oh, so it wasn't like you can't have your favorite car or pillow or something. No, Not like there's, object. there are certain things that you partake of within the religion. And okay. All right. Those, a lot of those things are denied to you until. Okay. So time. it's very obvious then to other people that you've slipped up. So it's not just Correct. you and the person yes. that you told. Okay. I, I remember actually one time as a teenager, I went in and confessed a sin and I was asked to not partake of this particular thing. And my mom and dad saw me not partake of it. 
next thing I knew I was drilled by my parents. What did you do? Like, (laughs) yeah, even though this was supposed to be like something between me and God and like, Mm -hmm. I was just trying to be a better person. The next thing I knew there was a lot of guilt and shame coming my way because it's not something like, because of this particular thing is done in front of everyone. Like my parents knew that I had slipped up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's so hard, especially <laughs> since you were probably a teenager. Because yeah. we all make mistakes then. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> uh, Typical teenager here. <laughs> so, how did you meet your husband? I mean, I know that he was in your religion, so that's how you met him. Because you mm-hmm. guys, were you set up? No, we weren't set up. We both worked for a company. This particular company was heavily populated with workers of this particular religion if that makes any sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. They kind of followed some of the religious rules, some of the weird religious rules, but it was easy for me to practice my faith while working for them Mm -hmm. because I didn't have to go in and be like, okay, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. So what are those things? Tell me, tell me those things that like you wouldn't be able Um, to do. So like the main thing is working on Sunday. That's the Lord's day. You're Mm -hmm. not allowed to work on Sunday. It's kind of a funny joke right now because like if you're a doctor or a police officer and like that's for the greater good, you kind of get a hall pass. Like you can Hmm. still go to heaven. (laughs) Oh, interesting. But but if you're just trying to like earn an honest wage and like pay your bills, mm, sorry, you're not, that's God's not going to let that one fly. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, that's tough. So what are some other rules? Like what was there stuff around what you could wear or? Yes, very much so. So like right now I'm wearing porn shoulders. This is kind of another funny joke within <laughs> the leaving community. <laughs> she has she has a tank top on. She's I ta- I showing me everything. On. Yep. Oh, these shoulders. That <laughs> <laughs> so sexy. Yeah. Um, so there were very strict requirements of where and what needed to be covered. You couldn't be too low. You couldn't show your shoulders. Shirts and shorts had to be a certain length. I mean, my parents weren't one of those particular groups of parents, but there were parents that would get the measuring tape out and make sure that the pants or shirt skirts were long enough. So you were allowed to wear pants because I know in some religions you can't. Yes, we, we were allowed to wear pants. As of recently, they highly, highly discourage the use of like yoga pants or tight skin pants. Right. That makes sense. But like jeans are fine. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anything else that you would say or were, you know, could get in the way of you being able to have a normal job or a job where your religion wasn't really recognized? No, not specifically. Just okay. the working on Sunday thing. And okay. because this particular place that I worked at was closed on Sunday, that was just one conversation I didn't have to have. But right. that was also why other members of my church or community would yeah. flock to this place to work. Because Makes sense. They're like, why is everybody who comes here a part of this religion? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're like, I guess we've, somebody said something good about us. So yeah. when did you realize, so you were 30 when you left, like, when did you really start realizing, like, I just don't know if I want to live like this? Growing up, there were little things that kind of came up between the years of, you know, young, young and 30. There were things that would come up that didn't really I don't know, resonate with my soul per se, or like I would hear things that have happened in the history of my church or my religion. And like, they didn't sit well, but I was amazing at compartmentalizing. So Mm. like I could put these little things that didn't 
resonate with me that the church taught me in boxes and just kind of put them up on a shelf and deal with them later. So at 30, something very specific happened to me. And it's such a silly thing when I look back on it, but it started all of this. And it was a cup of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. As silly as that is. So within my religion, coffee is not okay. Absolutely not. Like you can't have coffee in good standing with the church. Like I could lose a lot of my privileges and a lot of my experiences. I wouldn't be able to participate in a lot of things if I drank coffee. Some revelation given to some particular prophet along the way that coffee is bad for us. Hmm. It came when it came, when that particular revelation came, it came at the same time that like tobacco did at the time. Were you allowed to smoke? No, 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 (laughs) no. Okay. I'm just curious. But like, In the religion at that time, like if you go back in history to that particular time when they received that revelation, a lot of the members of this particular religion were chewing on tobacco and drinking coffee and drinking tea. And so like when this revelation came that this was no longer good for us, it took a couple of generations to get it out of everyone's system. But now we're here today and no one drinks coffee, tea or tobacco, smokes, anything like that. But as health officials came out that tobacco wasn't good for you, it was kind of like a see, <laughs> right. like we knew, like this was true revelation. It, we didn't know it at the time that tobacco wasn't good for you, but now we know it's not good for you. Well, guess what? Coffee's going to be the same way. <laughs> People drink coffee all the time. It's going to come out eventually that coffee's not good for you and that it's the cause of a lot of health issues and stuff like that. And I believe that. Like yeah. I was never going to drink coffee ever 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 <laughs> cuz what's so interesting is that actually tobacco is good for you. It's the um <laughs> cigarettes with the 9 million chemicals that are with in the it. nicotine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh nicotine is actually yeah, ni- yeah, nicotine's not so bad. But not that I'm promoting any of it, but it, no, yeah. No, no. And coffee but- certainly has its benefits. But this is the world that I grew right. up in. Right. I, yeah, was totally. told, I was told that it was bad for you. Mm-hmm. Like chewing on the tobacco causes the jaw cancer or the gum yeah, cancer right, or whatever right. it is. And it was like just proof that this was God's revelation to man. Or I just assumed that coffee would be the same way. Like eventually mm-hmm. they were going to come out and tell me that coffee was bad for you. So I wasn't mm-hmm. ever going to partake of it. Were you allowed to drink alcohol? No, no never, okay. ever. Okay, okay. In fact, I didn't have my first sip of alcohol until I was 35. Holy cow. Yeah. Now it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're 35. I mean, you can definitely. (laughs) So at the time, what was allowed for energy purposes was soda. And what I was drinking to get me through the day, I had young kids, like I was just trying to get through my day was Diet Coke. And that's 100% A-okay. It's not going to keep you from participating in anything. And because I had such a rigorous schedule with all of my normal adult things that I had to do on top of all of my normal wifely duties that I had to do on top of my normal motherly duties that I had to do on top of all my church duties that I had to do, I was basically chain drinking Diet Coke. Mm. I would pop one in the morning and my last one would be with dinner. And I would go through six to eight cans of Diet Coke. Well, you said six to eight, right? Six to eight cans. Okay. You blurred that. So it sounded a little like 68 and I wanted to be (laughs) sure. 
<laughs> I mean, some days. But what I started noticing, especially by the time I hit 30, is my health was starting to decline. Mm. And I knew it was the soda. I knew yeah. the amount of consumption that I was, and it's not good for me. I knew that, but I didn't know how to get through my day without something. And I tried cutting back on the soda, but I had a really hard time with that. And then I would drop things and like, it just, it became this big issue. So I had a conversation with a friend of mine who happened to be a doctor, not the same religion as me, just a friend that happened to be a doctor that kind of recommended, Hey, get off the soda, try a cup of coffee. And like, this was not an easy decision for me. Like the turmoil that I went through just to try it, it took me almost half a year from when I was given that advice to having my first cup of coffee because it just wasn't an easy decision. Like, no, and it's just so silly now looking back on it, one cup of coffee and bringing myself to finally having it. So I have a cup of coffee one day, don't need any soda. One cup gets me through the whole day. And I'm like, wow, wow. <laughs> it's amazing. And I know it's less caffeine. I know that it's healthy for me because I had kind of done a little bit of research on coffee, independent research, mm -hmm. which also was another big deal. Because we are kind of told, like, when you do research to, there's approved material that the church allows you to reference. And anything that's not is basically considered anti-material. So for me to go and Google the effects of coffee was kind of a big deal, too, rather than mm. taking what the church told me. Wow. I have such a good day and like my energy level was pretty normal. I didn't feel any crashes. I slept better that night. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do this the rest of the week. And by the end of the week, like my health had transformed. My skin got clearer. I was having regular bowel movements. I was sleeping at night. Like it was amazing how much had changed. And this messed me up because this is not what the church told me was going to happen if I had coffee. Right. I was told that it was bad for you. And here it was almost saving me in this situation where I was struggling to just right. get through the day. And finally, I was getting through the day, but not, I didn't feel like I was as dependent on coffee as I had been on soda. And there were days that I could go without. Well, that wow. was new. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was incredible. But what ended up happening is because my independent research had proved something that the church had told me differently. Now I felt betrayed by the church. Mm -hmm. Now I felt like the church had lied to me about something. That began four years worth of truth-seeking research into the church, which ultimately led me to my shelf breaking four years later, where I just couldn't do it anymore. So I'm guessing that was from 26 to 30. You were 30 was when I started with the coffee and 34 was the year that I left the church okay. officially. Wow. And by officially, I just mean in my head, like I'm technically still on their rolls because it requires a lawyer to get your name off the rolls. Oh, so wow. I'm on a list of an independent company to help get my name off the list but they're backed up because so many other people are leaving and they only take them because it's independent and they don't charge you, but they have to do 
so many a year. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Holy cow. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so mentally at 34 was when everything kind of came crashing down. During this four years as I'm doing my research, I told you before, I'm really good at compartmentalizing. So like as these things that would come, the true research that I was doing, which wasn't just the material that I was allowed to research, but all the material, like just Google searches on this religion that I belong to. I just kept compartmentalizing everything. Okay, that doesn't make sense to me, but I know the church is true. So we'll just put this in a box and we'll just put it up on a shelf. Okay, well, that doesn't sit well with my soul, but I know the church is true. So I'm just going to put this in a box and I'm going to put it up on a shelf. (laughs) And during that four years, like I had hundreds of shelves, thousands of boxes. Yeah. And then what ended up happening actually was a talk that was given by the leader of the church, like the main head honcho, the president of the church, that the religion that I belong to. He gave a talk and his purpose of his talk was trying to help families be together forever. So within the teachings of the church that I came from, we believe that we can all be sealed together in heaven. But the only ones that can be sealed together are the ones that believe this religion. So if anyone falls away or participates in something that's deemed unworthy, you can't be together with that person. In heaven. In heaven. Hmm. So his talk was basically referencing if if you have family members that have left, now's the time to bring them back to the fold. Like now's the time to really reach out to your family to let them know that you love them, to let them know that the church is true and really try and get them back with you because we're running out of time. (laughs) As much as I loved that concept at this time, as I'm struggling, as I've, as my soul is kind of weighted down with all of the shelves and boxes that I've got compartmentalized and I'm struggling with my faith, trying to understand that this is true he basically introduced me into this concept of what I call sad heaven. (laughs) So the concept here is that I could do everything right, like everything right, never put a toe out of line, follow all the rules, check every single box, be the perfect member of this particular religion. But let's say that my husband doesn't believe it, or let's say that my kids fall away, or let's say they have a different path in life that leads them somewhere else that isn't this particular religion. My heaven is now alone. Oh my God. I have no one there. And that hit me because the whole point of this whole religion, like the foundation of faith behind this religion is that we will be together forever. Like that's why people join. That's, that's like... What it all comes back to is that in heaven, we're sealed together forever. And we're the only faith that can do that, by the way. We're the only (laughs) ones. We're the only ones with the power to do that. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So obviously, that was a huge disconnect for you. You're like, wait a second. If I do everything right, I could still end up in the wrong place. Heaven's not heaven without the people I love. Like that is my that is my heaven. My husband, my family, they are my heaven. Mm-hmm. Without them, what's the point? Like, mm-hmm. I don't see a purpose of that. That that makes no sense to me. Yeah. And and this wasn't my scenario. Like, I right. wasn't. And probably that's why it took me this long to get there is because my husband was a faithful member. We were doing everything with our kids that we were supposed to to raise them in this 
particular church religion. Like we were on course to be a forever family, but that didn't mean that other families had the scenario that I just talked about. That didn't mm. mean that I didn't have actual friends whose entire family had left and they were the only members to look at their heaven. Just, it just broke me. Like I, I, I can't imagine what God would do that. Right. You know, what God would create this plan and do that to people who are doing everything right. Like that just didn't, that, that didn't, didn't sit up, well yeah. with me at all, at all. So right. like in my emotional world, this is where everything fell. All my shells broke, all my boxes. They, I mean, like, again, in my emotional world, which I clearly can picture, I'm standing in this room, broken pieces of boxes, broken pieces of shelving, just all scattered around me. And it's not like just here and there, like there are layers of this around me. It comes up to my calf. Like I'm just in this room looking at all of this and all my issues are kind of flying around me of like, I never, I never dealt with that. Like I was, right. I was awesome at compartmentalizing, but I never picked those boxes off, opened them up and tried to really figure this out. I was like, that doesn't sit well with me. So I'm just going to, I'm going to put it over here. Mm -hmm. And so emotionally I have basically two choices. I can either rebuild or I can walk away. Those were the only two choices at that moment that I could really, really come up with to do. So was what was your husband head. thinking? Was he at all? Did he know any of this was going on in your head or no. your heart? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> the poor man. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, honestly, I was struggling internally and I didn't know how to come to him and say, I'm having issues with my religion. Like I'm having issues with my faith. This is our religion. Yes. This isn't something that's openly discussed. There's no safe place within right. the church to go and say, let's talk about like, this. <laughs> yeah. I don't like the way you treat this or I don't understand this or like this doesn't sit well with me. There's no safe place to do that. And I wish, looking back on it, I wish I had confided in my husband early on because to him, it was like, everything was fine. Everything was fine. And then it was like, mm. <laughs> bam. <laughs> uh -huh. But yeah, but, but within our relationship, like, because I was pulling back from him, we struggled to like connect again because his life, all of our lives were revolved around the church. So to not have that connection was, it was hard. It was really, really hard. I mean, he loved me. I loved him. That was 100% always there. That never faltered even during this whole process and after, but like living in a mixed faith marriage, I don't wish it on anyone because you, I mean, it's just one of those foundations that you're not on the same page anymore. And it mm -hmm. just, just hurt to not be able to come to him and say these things. Right. What did you wind up saying to him? So, <laughs> but I bet you like started to say one thing and then everything came out. <laughs> so, yes. Oh, so I have this shelf breaking moment. I'm emotionally trying to decide, do I pick everything back up? Do I try and fix this? Do I rebuild or do I walk away? And I was probably in that emotional state for about four months. Oh my God. <laughs> and I just remember feeling really numb the whole time. Wow. I, I was just going about the business. I put on my little church dress and my high heels and my fake lashes and went to church and did the thing and participated in all the things. But like, I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. I wasn't present at home. 
I emotionally was just numb to the world because this, this isn't like a easy decision. Like right. looking no, back I on know. It, right. Like looking back on it now, I just want to go to that emotional girl in the room that's like staring at all the carnage and be like, just leave. Like it's so easy. Just leave. Just walk out the door. Like it's really, really that easy. But it's not that easy because when you're in it, yeah. I know what I'm gonna possibly lose. Mm-hmm. Like uh, this is my community. These are all my friends. This is my family. This is my husband. These are my children. Like I could lose all that. And the idea of possibly losing my husband or losing my family, like I can't, I can't. Mm -hmm. I just sat there not making a decision. Right. So, and and did your husband finally say to you, like, why are you so distant? Why are you just like going through the motions? I do remember deciding, okay, I'm ready to have this conversation with my husband. Like I've, before I leave, leave, I have to make sure that he understands where I'm coming from. And I remember specifically where I was sitting, what I was looking at, what I was wearing, what he was wearing. Like you just, those are one of those moments in time that you just like mentally, there's this very vivid picture. And I remember kind of just saying, so I know that I've been struggling lately. I know that I've been distant lately. And I, I think it's time for me to kind of let you know what I've been going through. And I kind of let him know that I had been doing a lot of research into the church. I did let him know that I had done research with the approved material and with the non-approved material. So he knew that I was reading Mm (laughs) anti-material, which was kind of a big thing. And then I just let him know, I don't think it's true. Like, I don't think I believe it anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, there's still things that they teach that I love. There's still things that they teach. It's not your truth. Right. That it, yeah, I, I don't believe this anymore. I don't. What I like about the church is not unique to just this church, but what's unique about this church, I don't like. I could find everything that I enjoyed about the church somewhere else, but the weird, strict, controlled rules just didn't make sense to me anymore. I, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't do it anymore, and I couldn't fake it anymore. He was hurt, like very, very hurt. He wasn't mad or angry. We didn't fight. But I remember him just looking like I had just smashed his dream because I literally had. Mm. What broke me, sad heaven, that's what I just gave him. Mm -hmm. Sad heaven. He was just now understanding that he was going to be living in eternity without me. That's what I was telling him. And it was sad. That was sad for him. And like, luckily, I. I lived it. Like I knew what he was feeling. I knew the emotions that he was having. We had lots and lots and lots of conversations after that and kind of learned to respect that what we wanted for each other was to just be happy. So I was able to offer him the grace that if this particular religion brought him happiness, that's what I wanted for him. And he was able to understand that if being out of it brought me happiness, then that's what he wanted for me. It's still difficult. Like I said, living in a mixed faith marriage, I don't, I don't wish it on anyone because every single, like just the little things required more discussion. Mm -hmm. Every Sunday was a new discussion. Are you coming to church with us? Are you going to sit with us? And I usually did. I would go, even though I didn't believe it. Sometimes I put headphones in. Sometimes I would journal. Sometimes I just need to get out and take a break because some of the things that they taught just I couldn't, I couldn't sit through that any longer. And then it got to the point where it was like, okay, are you going to come to church with us? And then when you come to church with us, are you going to like, 
analyze everything that was said with me after church. It, it just, it just took some grace and understanding on both of our parts to get through. But he, again, he loved me. I loved him. So we were going to get through this together. So did, did it take about two years or something like that of like these conversations for you both to decide to leave? Ultimately, we were in a true mixed faith marriage for about a year. Okay. And then for about six months, my husband decided, okay, I'm going to take a break from this. This is like, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with it as well. So I'm just going to take a break. And then when he had reached kind of that six month state, he kind of went through everything that I had gone through, which was nice because I kind of could be there for him. But yeah, ultimately he did end up leaving as well. So it wasn't like uh, we're leaving together. It was like, nope. I'm leaving. And then he was like, all right, I'll catch up kind of right. thing. Yeah. What have been the repercussions from leaving? Before we go there, I do want to go back and kind of talk about what ended up happening after I had decided to leave. So like, again, I'm in this emotional room where everything had come crashing down. I had spent four months kind of numb in there. And then I finally, finally decide, okay, I have to live authentically. Like I can't do this anymore. I'm just putting on a face and I have to be me. So I'm going to leave. And emotionally, I walk out of that room. I shut the door and I'm in complete darkness, complete darkness, because I just shut the door on everything I know. Like I have mm-hmm. nothing left. I, I don't have a way to heaven. I don't have family. I don't have friends. I could potentially lose my husband. I know that if he decided that he wanted to divorce me because I had left this religion, he would have the support of the church. He would have the support of his family. In fact, recently I just found out that his siblings, all of them told, recommended for him to leave me when he told them that I had left the church. That alone, just that, Hmm. just that, that he got recommendations from his siblings. So I am emotionally, I'm in this room, complete darkness. There's nothing else in there. Nothing, nothing. Nothing, yeah, no, just, nothing to grab onto. Just me. And you know how like you're in like a dark room and like your eyes start to normalize just, the light. Yeah. And you can kind of see shadows. So emotionally, that's what starts happening. I start seeing this room. There's nothing else in there. It's just me. And I look ugly. My hair is greasy with bald spots. I look like my skin hasn't seen the sun in forever. It's just this really pale white. I'm super thin, like starving thin. You can see my bones and stuff like that. My eyes are sunken, sunken in and it's, that's it. That's all that's there. That's, that's me. And I realize emotionally what I'm doing here is this person that I'm seeing represents all my sins, all my misgivings, all my bad personality traits that I try and keep hidden from people (laughs) like this. This is everything about me that is bad or disgusting. Mm. And part of the reason why I never saw it before was because the church had covered it up. Like it had given me a way to heaven without having to deal with all that. Like it, you know, it came with a savior that took all of my sins upon for me it gave me a way to kind of repent of everything that I had done wrong. It gave me the tools and like the steps in order to make it to heaven. And I just 
I just shut the door on all that. Like I just denied all of that. So now here I am having to take all that back on me because I don't have a savior to do the path for me again. Right. So it's coming from you. It's coming from me. I have to be enough. I have to be enough. And by I have to be enough, that thing, that that ugly thing with all of its issues, all of its problems, like everything that is kind of negative about me has to be enough in order to do it myself. I have to be my own savior. I have to be enough for me through all of this. I looked at that me. I looked at me, the bad parts of me, the the dark parts of me. And I realized that even that person is enough. Like she's beautiful because she represents also the growth that I've been through. She mm. represents the, the things that I've learned, the trials that I've, I've been through. And that even that person, even the dark parts of me is still a beautiful person. And it's only just a part of me. But I accepted that part of me. And I think that that, I mean, that was profound to me. That moment where I was like, okay, I don't need a religion. Like, I still consider myself extremely spiritual, but I don't need someone carving the path for me. I can carve my own path. And I can do it with every part of me, every ounce of me, including the part that I had denied for so many years. The part that religion told me wasn't good enough because no unperfect thing can make it to heaven. And I looked at that unperfect part of me and realized that that unperfect part of me was still a beautiful part of me. Dude, (laughs) mic drop. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Standing ovation coming up. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh man. Uh, but, that changed, man. But, that, but that was the moment that everything changed for me. That was the moment where I realized, okay, even if I do lose my friends, it doesn't matter because I'm enough. Yes. Even if I lose my oh, family, yes. it doesn't matter because I'm enough. It doesn't, it, even if everything that I hold dear went away from me, I didn't want to lose my family. I didn't want to lose my friends. It didn't like, I didn't want any of that, but this changed something for me where I realized that no matter what I was enough and I would always be enough. There's no, there's no boxes to tick. If there is a God, I don't want to say there is or isn't, but if there is a God, I already know I'm a good person. I am enough. And if I can accept the dirty, disgusting, dark side of me and know the beauty in that, how can a God, an all-powerful being, a higher power, not realize the same thing? Amen. Yeah. (laughs) We need to insert some like... Oh, that's awesome. You're amazing. I, I know that a lot of people struggle to leave because there's like this understanding or this belief that when you leave, a lot of people turn to drugs because they go to that dark space yes. and they don't accept themselves. And so uh, then it becomes more numbing stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. The accepting part of me, I think, is where the transformation really happened for me. I saw it. I I saw the dirty parts of me and it was really gross. I I mean like I tried to like explain the visualization of it, but it really really I, it was just this really disgusting naked alone type of mentality. And I do understand how if you can't accept that about you, how that can spiral you into a worse and worse depression. Right. And it is difficult to see the beauty in it because to our construct and like the teachings that 
we're taught in our social dynamic, that is bad. Like that, like, and I hate the word bad. Like I do try to avoid that because I think that all things yin and yang, like everything, the good parts of the bad, the bad parts of the good, like everything's kind of balanced. But I can see how I do. Un- I do understand where people are coming from, where it can right. spiral out of control if you don't see the beauty in it. Right. And without the darkness, it's hard to see the light. Yes. Yeah. I'm no longer afraid of the dark. And yeah. I appreciate the light. Yep. Wow. What a beautiful journey that you've explained. So, <laughs> so rough. Here you are. Oh my gosh. You've accepted yourself. You, now yeah. you like, you now I'm your, ready. Yeah. Now I'm ready for the repercussions. <laughs> yeah. You're like strong, feeling strong, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> yeah. What does that look like? Did your husband then, he was still six months out, right? Before yeah. deciding to come with you. Okay. Yeah. So like, I do think that year where he was still fully in, we went to church, we did the things, he still said that he believed it and it made him happy. And like, I do believe to a certain extent, religion can make you happy. I have lots of people that I love and respect that are still in the religion. And I do think that they are to a certain extent happy. Like I do, like I'm I'm not gonna, I I can't define that for anyone else. I can only define it for myself. And so I do think in this scenario, my husband was happy and that the church, this religion, it offers some comfort. It offers some joy and peace. And Mm -hmm. and I can see that. But I think what confused him the most is that one thing that we're told in this religion, if if you walk away, you will not be happy. Like if you do experience happy, it will be fleeting because it's not true happiness. Mm. And that the true happiness only exists within the faith. Well, here I had lived the faith for 30 years. And to a certain extent, like life was happy. It had its ups, it's had its downs. And then I left and it was like, this is beautiful. This is freeing. (laughs) Like I'm allowed to believe whatever I want to believe. I'm allowed to kind of think whatever I want to think. No one's supplying. You don't know what you don't know, right? Yes. Like no one's supplying the answers of like where we came from, why are we here and where are we going? But I'm allowed to ask those questions now. And openly ask those questions. So and much not freedom. Just, yes. And not just discard them. And like that, that concept is really beautiful to me. And I don't want the answers. That's the other thing I've noticed is that like for 30 years, I had an answer to every single freaking question on the face of the planet. And now I don't have to have an answer, which is kind of a powerful place to be. Like if there's a God and a heaven, I'm good. And if there isn't, I'm good. I'm okay no matter what turns out, because I'm going to live each day. But also, if there's something at the end of this, I don't feel like I have to cross all my T's and dot all my I's and check every single box. Like I'm going to live each day. My husband's watching me do this. And he's realizing that my happiness, it's it's real. <laughs> like, it's real <laughs> happiness, which is not what he was told. Like he mm-hmm. was told that if I left, like I was going to be miserable. I wasn't going to have the spirit of God with me anymore or anything, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. like what he ended up noticing is how incredibly happy and freeing my life now was. And I think that was very confusing to him because that's not, that's not what he was told. Right. So him seeing you happy caused him to leave. I think so. Like ultimately, we've had a few discussions about it to pinpoint it on just that one thing. Probably not. He had his own. 
he had his own journey. He had his own faith crisis. He had his own questions. But I think that seeing me happy was kind of like my coffee. Like it was kind of that thing of being like, wait, that's not what they told me. What else? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I I think that that was very confusing for him to, to see me like truly, truly happy. And who, who would know more than the person that I'm living with? My husband, who I see every day, who would know more than the person who sees me happy on the regular basis? And not to say that my life's perfect. Like, no, I, I know. Just, life is still life, up and down, right. roller coasters, trials still come, and yeah. everything's fine. But I also feel like when they come, I have a better attitude about it. It's not, woe is me. It's, okay, cool. Let's see what we can learn from this, grow, become. Right. That's, that's the thing I've noticed with people who've had a spiritually transformative experience, which is basically what you're talking about. They realize like, it's either all or nothing. Like I either save myself from the situation and, and choose me or I don't. And that's probably worse. So when you're in that moment and you choose you, you realize that you can get through anything and you wind up having a different mindset and a different sense of permeability or permanent what the what's the word instead of permanent permanently permanent (laughs) (laughs) what I'm trying to say is things come and go like it's it'll get better like that things change like that idea this this isn't forever this isn't forever yeah this isn't permanent see this was another thing that I found like after leaving I noticed that I wasn't just trying to endure this life anymore like I was gonna live it Right. And yeah. before it felt like it was an endurance game, which comes with its own up and downs. Right. But- and I believe that we're in that phase right now on this planet. There's like a sense of, of endurance rather than uh-huh. living. Yeah. And I think we're moving towards the I want to live yeah. and feel freedom and happiness Definitely. and Definitely. live by the march by the beat of my own drum. And just because my drumming sounds like one way doesn't mean that yours is wrong or that you can't do a flute or a trumpet or a drum too. It's like acceptance of all. (laughs) The way I describe it to people is it's like a fruit salad. Like it's better that we have strawberries and oranges and grapes. Like if it was just a big bowl of strawberries, it'd be pretty boring. Like not to say that isn't beautiful, but like. Right. And tasty. (laughs) It's fruit salad is better. So you need different musical instruments. You need different fruit. When they talk about making music, it's actually the silence that creates the music. Otherwise, it would just be noise. It becomes music when there is those pauses and and there is there a change. So, Correct. wow. <laughs> <laughs> One last question. Your husband, you and your kids, you left. What's it like with your family? A lot of relationships are tender. It's kind of like the mixed faith marriage type of mentality that I feel like conversations have to happen very carefully. One of the big problems, at least for me, that makes me frustrated about the whole situation is I feel like I've lost a lot of credibility with my family. To me, that makes no sense because like, I remember what it was like to be a part of this religion. Mm-hmm. I remember the rules. I could quote the sessions. Like I, like I know what it's like to be there, but they treat me as though I have forgotten it all. Hmm. Like I've lost it all. Like I've lost the spirit of God or lost the faith or 
or that sort of thing. Right. Well, they're just taking what you're doing and putting it on a box and being like, I don't understand this. So I will Correct. just <laughs> not pay Correct. attention to it, which is, which honestly, I, when I went th- through coming out, it was like, I had a feeling like that maybe I wanted to be with somebody who was female and I would be like, ah, no, I don't understand that. And I put it on a box. And, and that's honestly one of the reasons why I realized the power of the mind, because I was right. hiding that for my own self. <laughs> I'm right. Correct. Like for a long time, like Correct. longer than I would, <laughs> well, longer than I probably should have. Um, thankfully not too long, but you know, definitely long. So that's how I, I realized like you really can compartmentalize like you were saying. Oh, you can, you can. And those that are the best at it stay in the longest mm-hmm. in, a, in a way or stay in the box or stay in the closet or like whatever yeah. it is. If you're good at compartmentalizing it, you can do it for this entire life. But yeah. I think like, well, what's the point? Right. But once you get to a point where you realize, ah, this is too heavy or Mm -hmm. this doesn't feel right or this doesn't resonate with me anymore. There's always this moment where it becomes too much. And it's just like, uh -uh, I can't, I can't. And, and like, I even thought about going back, like, could I go back? And I just, I can't, I can't. You were like, I can feel your spirit laughing at that. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I couldn't like that. Yeah, that's impossible no. for my soul. Like I, yeah. I don't even know. I would have to shut down completely and let every free part of my spirit be trapped in a right. cage in order yeah. to do that. I hear you. I just so, tuned into my spirit back then and and I heard, get out of here. You know. <laughs> so yeah, my my spirit's the same way. You're uh, so funny. <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere in there is like an old Italian man or something. So I will say every family member, every friend, it's a little different. I want to give huge shout out props to my mom and dad. I know this has not been like easy for them yeah, because I understand the sad heaven and in their world, they just lost a daughter who won't be in heaven with them anymore. And like, I understand the turmoil and embarrassment too, like in a society situation. I Mm -hmm. do get it because again, I remember what it was like. I know what they're going through to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. I have kids too. I, I remember thinking those thoughts they have been very loving. Their love for me is 100% unconditional. They have no oh, condition so for the love that they offer me. And they're some of the few. Uh, I lost almost every single one of my friends. I think I can count maybe three that are still my friends now, but I've lost all my friends. And as far as like other family members, they're all in their own places. To say that all family discarded me would be wrong. To say that all family accepted me would be wrong. Everyone's kind of in their own places. Is there family that discarded me? Yes, 100%. There are family members that I won't ever speak to again. I forgive them, love them, hope they have a wonderful, happy life. They're just not welcome at my table anymore. Yeah, I can. I thought the same thing about my parents. They had their own journey with me coming out and they were mostly supportive but definitely it's uncomfortable. But yeah. the one thing they said to me is all we want is for you to be happy. Yeah. So I was like, well, this is going to make me happy. Great. I figured it out. Finally. <laughs> so then I guess you're happy if I'm happy. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> We're all happy now. Everything's happy. Yeah. So anything else you want to share about this like massive transformation? Like have you gone through other transformations that you think, I mean, everything's going to probably seem like small potatoes. I mean, that is huge. Like what you did is even greater than I think coming out of the closet. Oh, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, I do. I, I mean, based on somebody who's been through it, I don't know. I do actually, I should say, 
I was super lucky with coming out of the closet. I, so I, it can be very, very difficult. I just think the whole element of God and then this element that they're going to go to hell. I, I guess some people do. Well, I guess it is kind of similar. Yeah. Depending it on is. his experience. Yeah. It is. It, it is semi. Yeah. I mean, there's always these concepts and they, funnily enough, kind of translate over to different religions and different beliefs and different it's it's interesting but i think it comes back to like this element of worthiness and that being defined by someone else if that makes sense mm-hmm. now that i've left one thing that i've noticed is that my worth and worthiness i'm going to put worthiness in there because i feel like worth is worth but worthiness especially in my environment was always up to for debate like my worthiness was always up for debate. We would regularly go in and have like interviews with leaders of the church and they would ask you a series of questions. And if you answered them correctly, you were, con- you would be counted as worthy. And if you didn't, you weren't worthy and you had to work on it. That won't ever happen to me ever again. No one is allowed ever, ever to debate my worthiness or my worth. Yes. Like, never. I love you. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> you're awesome. The, y- your spirit is so freaking cool. Thanks. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for sharing all of this with our listeners because I know it's not easy. This was hugely transformative for you, and yeah, it can. I can tell you still are dealing with some healing aspects of it. I tried uh, really hard not to cry. I, <laughs> it's all good. You can cry. That's good. Um, wow. So I'm super grateful I met you and I'm so glad that you were able to share this with us. Is there anything else you want to share with everybody? No, not specifically. Just enjoy life. Be happy. That's kind of the point. Don't allow one person's measure of happiness to cloud your measure of happiness. Comparing ourselves to each other, just it's never going to work. Be happy for you. Yes. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Ashley. Have an awesome day. Thank you. You too. All content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show website or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.